What is your why? Do you want dynamic growth? Do you feel stuck? It's time to fix your why. Hello and welcome to the Fix Your Why podcast. I'm Billy Ryan. Today we're going to talk about something I'm very excited about, uh, the future. For me, the future was something I could always see, literally. I would see the future. In fact, I would try it on. I'll explain what I mean as we go on. I think when you are intent on high achievement, when you're intent on making your mark in the world, you're trying to do something in your mind that no one's done before. You can think about what that means in your life. You can think about what that means to your customer. You can think about the impact that it's going to have on team members. There's a thought followed by actions followed by results. When you are fixing your why, when you know your why, that informs your actions, it informs your thoughts, and informs the way you lead your team. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing. And as we've talked previously, fixing your why doesn't mean something's broken. It might mean that your why is not as effective as it needs to be to lead to innovation and creativity. It may not be as effective as you want it to be to lead you to high achievement. And so we want to refine or hone our why. For me, again, it was something when I was doing these things, I was young. I was 29 when I embarked on this journey. I had no idea that I was going to accomplish at the level that I did. I was, we were, as a family business, we are a 500 unit a year company. In the beginning, I wasn't trying to build more than 500 homes or sell more than 500 homes. In home building, in, in a lot of companies, you think about unit growth, not in home building. If you can go out, buy a piece of dirt, buy a piece of land, get it entitled, develop it. You have to have more than one if you're doing 500 units a year. If you can do that year after year, that's actually quite an accomplishment. There are so many things that have to happen for you to sell and close 500 homes a year. And remember, in home building, our plant was where we bought the land. We weren't able to be in a single building year after year, refining our processes and our techniques and our resources. That's not the nature of the home building business. In fact, we subcontracted most of our labor. They weren't even our team members that were building our homes. So I was in an industry where it was difficult to create unit growth. If you were a 500 unit per year builder 
that was quite an accomplishment. In 91, we sold 500 homes. In 92, we sold 1,086. And in 93, we sold 1,500. That kind of growth in any industry is significant. In the home building industry, it was unprecedented. Why did it happen? Well, there are a lot of reasons why it happened. But as I said, I didn't set out to hit those numbers. There was no way. If you would have asked me in 89, could I achieve 1,500 units in sales volume? I'd probably tell you it was possible because I believed in what was possible. But could I tell you how to get there? No. And the truth of the matter was I wasn't, I didn't have that as my goal. My goal was to be the best home builder in my market. The most tangible measure of that was the market share in the sub-markets in which we competed. So Chicago is a very large metropolitan area. You can break it up into a lot of different sub-markets. We worked with a market research firm that broke it up in a particular way. So I followed uh, their method. And adopting a mindset from Jack Welch, I set out to be first or second in every sub-market that I was in. That was my measurable goal. And I measured it every Monday morning. I developed pricing strategies to ensure that I would maintain that market share position. Now, at the same time, I was developing new products. I was designing new homes, new floor plans. We were also redefining, remapping, if you will, our sales team. We completely overhauled our sales team. We had some successful salespeople at the time. Uh, they were kind of had the gunslinger approach and they were successful and able to sell at a high level. But we understood, my VP of sales and myself, that to be better, we had to prepare for the eventuality of losing some of these gunslingers. We had to train a team that was reliable year after year, community after community. So that was something else that we were, we were doing. We were a zero defect quality construction builder. We were the inaugural winner of the National Housing Quality Award. So we were operating at multiple levels, trying to be the best at whatever it was we were trying to do. And I can go on and on in the initiatives that we pursued as a company to define what best was. It just so happened that when you converge all of these initiatives, it resulted in this phenomenal growth. So it wasn't a number that was our target or our future vision. Each day we acted trying to improve a specific area of our business. And there were, you know, multiple departments trying to make that happen. The future vision, so when I was designing new product, 
I thought about what that floor plan had to look like. I thought about the customer that was going to live in that floor plan. As I met with my sales team every week to refine our pricing strategy and maintain that market share position, they would feed back to me why it was difficult for them to meet that challenge. So they were telling me, look, we're number one in our submarket, but it's not easy. This new competitor came out with this new product. Um, this competitor is offering this incentive for customers. So we had to compete every day based on a changing landscape. So every day we were met with this changing landscape. What was my future vision? What was the future state I envisioned for my company? I was not, as I said, focused on a single point in my future. Instead, when I was thinking about product design, I actually thought about how could I improve the information that we used to inform our consultants, whether architect or interior designer, to do something better, to do it better. So I would think in my mind and I would see this future. If I could do this, I think that would give us whatever this was. I think this would give me an advantage in the marketplace. If I could design a 2,400 square foot home at $60 a foot, I'd achieve the kind of profitability that I had hoped. At the same time, I wanted to improve the fit and finish of my home, the look and feel of my home. So I would visualize that future creation, not even knowing at the time if I could do it or not. Think of athletics. You've heard so many top performing athletes being able to visualize something they want to go out and do. I was no different. I was living in that future place, seeing the creation of some idea that I was having. I believed I could make it happen. I saw myself making it happen. Again, I was lucky. I worked with great people. We collaborated at a high level. We were able to accomplish a lot of what I envisioned. And it wasn't just me doing the visioning. There were constant people trying to do their own part, their whatever piece of the puzzle they were responsible. The other thing that I learned in this process is that I didn't have one why. As a company, we didn't have one why. If, if there was an overarching why in our company, it was quality. To be a zero defect home builder. If you want to meet the requirements, which is what quality is, you really aren't going to try to make your product more complicated. Well, when I was designing product, I was trying to be better. I was trying to, de to design more attractive product, more appealing product. I was trying to appeal to the psychographics of my customer. That wasn't making the quality job any easier. I was constantly challenging our trade contractors to learn to build a new house, 
a different floor plan. But I started to realize that in every aspect of the business that we were trying to change, when we stacked all of that intention, we created a law of attraction. So when I sat down with my architect or my interior designer and I set out to design a new floor plan or merchandise a new community, we were all living in that future state. We were attracting the ideas that we believed we needed to differentiate us in the marketplace. It created among all of us this cycle of goodness. Again, we, we thought, okay, if we did this, we might be more effective in the marketplace. And then when we acted and we were more effective in the marketplace, well, that was wind in our sails. That was telling us, you know what, the, we're onto something. We're thinking about this the right way because the, the change we hoped for actually occurred. So we all gained confidence in our ability to understand the market better. And therefore, we pushed ourselves to understand the market better. I mentioned psychographics. At the time, I didn't know of any home builder that was leveraging psychographics to better understand their customer. We were. And then we started conducting focus groups to understand our customer even better. Again, it was the fuel that allowed us to see that future that we all saw it. So when you're trying to make a change in your life or in your business, visualize what that future state looks like. Get attached to that future, that good place you're seeing yourself in. And then when you sit down and you collaborate with your team or with your consultants, you'll have the confidence that you'll be able to uncover the secret to innovation and creativity. Thank you for spending a little time here on the Fix Your Why podcast today, learning about the future and talking about the future. Again, I could spend hours talking about it. It's something that has always fascinated me. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Billy Ryan. <music>